Expedition 44, welcome here with Matt and Ryan again. We are in a huge um, series on the church that I think we're actually going to start uh, bringing together here sooner than later. And within that series on the church, we decided to do a mini-series on James because it speaks so much to where we're going with the church and so relevant to today. We've been on about four or five of these, and today mm -hmm. we are on our wrap-up. We're going to do James 5 and then kind of bring the whole series to conclusion. Yep, so today uh, we're going to start with James 5, verses 1 to 6, and similar to our last episode, we're going to have you pause and, and read that, and then I'll summarize. So if you want to pause at this time, read James 5, 1 to 6. Welcome back. So we've got here, uh, still, James is continuing off of chapter 4. He's kind of bringing a scathing reprimand against the rich in his congregation for trusting in their possessions, yep. uh, for um, dealing with the, the way that they pay their workers, um, yeah. all sorts of stuff. And he tells them right at the beginning of uh, here to, to wail and weep over their riches. Yeah, yeah. So there's, there's inter interesting things going on here. There's, um, there's definitely where he comes from last chapter at four where he's talking about you know store up your now and your later uh -huh. in kingdom thinking rather than in the world but he steps it up a notch he yep. gets a little more turns harsh up the heat. Yep, turns up the heat and there's a few things going on here i think uh micah 1 8 joel 1 8 they kind of have this uh prophetic language to the rich who are exploiting the poor and james mm -hmm. kind of has that same thing yeah and kind of they they talk about that the rich should mourn as well um and james here when you look at verse two he specifically talks about clothing and clothing was the primary way that you could tell visually if yeah. someone was rich or not and he kind of he talks about that um, the these things are coming to an end. He also uses their riches will rust, their their uh, their clothing will be moth eaten. It <laughs> yeah, talks yeah. about so all of this is going away. It's like that cold dust in the yep. wind thing that yep. we talked about last week. Your life is a vapor, so don't be hoarding possessions and materialism. And Jesus talks similarly about moth eaten yep. garments when he contrasts treasures in heaven yeah. versus treasures on earth. And where your heart is, that's where your treasure is going to be. And you and I often use the word entanglement, kind of the Timothy mm -hmm. words of like, if you're too entangled in your possessions of the world, you're you're going to have a hard time. And he actually, I would even say, kind of brings it more to a, a fateful or destruction. Yeah, almost tense. annihilation. You're going to, if yeah. your trust is in those things, you're going to, um, you're going to serve the same fate that they do, where they're moth-eaten and they're um, rusted out and basically becoming worthless or even come to nothing yeah and i'm always struggling with like what to stop and pick out here and yeah. what not to because uh normally matt and i don't leave a rock unturned that's kind of like one of our mottos and there's a lot that we could go here that goes back to the old testament there's mm -hmm. he's preaching a lot of sermons and little words here and so just in these six verses there's probably they're not necessarily hebrew idioms but they're they're words that would have said something. <laughs> yeah, hyperlinks. Yeah. There you go. And yeah. so telling lots of sermons that they would have already known. And so there's a there's a thing here where he says, Behold, pay of the laborers who mowed your fields. Now, when when you read this in Greek, it actually comes comes off as if the pay is crying out. And you might kind of remember those words mm -hmm. because that's gonna point you back to these exact words. The, the exact wording in a couple places in the Old Testament. So in Genesis 4.10, 
1820, we kind of get this same language that something is crying out. And so in the Cain and Abel story, we're going to see the, the, the blood. yeah, the blood is crying out. And, and this is kind of weird. Like we don't think this way that that it's uh, these things would be crying out. Now, is that metaphorical or, or is that, you know, uh, you know, just, just language going out? Well, in Hebrew, everything is created by God and everything speaks back to him. So what's going on here is that, is that something already belongs to the Lord. So the money belongs to the Lord. The, the thing that, the provisions, the stuff that he's giving you is the Lord. And when you're not using it or giving it back to the kingdom, it's a mistreating and it's actually a sort of adultery. Mm -hmm. It's, it's a, God removes the money and like stops it this way. And so if it's not being honoring to God, then in this case, God removed that. And sometimes people like kind of question like, is that the way God also, does he not just operate that way in the blood or the money or something like that? But does he operate that with us? That if we are not fulfilling our stewardship or not, uh, you know, sort of representing in the way that he wants, does, does he not necessarily use us to our full potential? And I would say that's definitely something to consider. Yeah, another one, like you said, in uh, Genesis 18:20, you've got the immorality of Sodom also yeah. cried out to yep. the, the Lord yep. there. Um, so as we're going through this, uh, basically if you have your heart set on your possessions and your entanglement with the world, you're going to meet the same fate. But uh, it goes on to say that in these last days, you've stored up your treasure. And last days was a common way to talk about from the time of Jesus until his return. So yeah. we've been in the last days since Jesus rose from the dead. <laughs> yeah, there's also even sometimes when you interpret this, um, people sometimes get hung up in the Greek and they say sometimes it's um, it's just in a, a forward sense in terms mm -hmm. of the language. And so I, I would open or identify that the language looks perhaps in the last days of what I would say the destruction of 70 AD. It mm -hmm. starts from there yeah, and goes to where we are now. And so, uh, in, in Matt and I, when we look at this theologically, like, you know, I hear sermons all the time. I was just at a conference, um, a, a kind of a missions conference for International School of Ministry. And you hear a lot of people say things like, we're in the last days, or you better believe this is it. Mm -hmm. And Matt and I actually don't disagree with that statement, yeah. but we believe we've been there for the last 2,000 years. Yeah. Like, I, you know, all these, um, the doom and gloom thinking, the, the uh, you know, you get better, you, be, you better start storing things up right now. Put your canned foods over there. I'm in the gun world. Stock up your ammunition, you know, things like that. And, like, we've been hearing this for a long time. Mm -hmm. and And I don't think that that's the mindset or the intention that, that, this is talking about yeah so a lot of days things that you could say uh think of these last days as there is this overlap between when jesus rose from the dead and when the temple was destroyed where kind of yeah. you had those two covenants yeah. overlapping and obviously the uh we believe that 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 kind of that old covenant um met its conclusion at the destruction of the the temple and it's the yeah. new covenant going forward. and it's not just us we realize that like for most people in an evangelical church, this might be a different thing than what you're hearing. Yeah. But I would actually challenge that almost all the biblical scholars in our world think like this. Yeah, even Craig Keener, who's one of the, the top New Testament scholar, he talks about uh, 
James's prophecy was timely, several years later, the Jewish uh, aristocrat see um was virtually obliterated in the revolt against rome so he's pointing this what james is saying craig's one of craig keener's one of the top new testament scholars he's pointing this to kind of a view of 70 a.d so where i see us living today and i and i'm not gonna you know say that there's nothing that has signs of antichrist tribulation end times it's all around us and so i i can get where people say that but when i kind of sort of do a analysis of where we're at now compared to other things that have happened around the world even in our time right now or in the late history like i don't necessarily see this like immediacy or this like you know jesus is coming back right now or tomorrow like i think we're still in the waiting and Mm -hmm. so like if I if we lived at seventy A.D., like I really would have believed that Jesus is coming back tomorrow. Like <laughs> it seems like everything would have pointing. been pointing that way, way more than what it looks like today. And even when you know Israel was restored at a new nation, I could see you might remember that hype in the late great planet Earth. I can sort of have a place for that because you can see how everything sort of lined up and. Everybody, you know, 40, 50, 60 years ago was teaching, mm-hmm. preaching that way. And that generation's gone, so like, what did it mean? <laughs> yeah, so. and now it seems like of late we're hearing this again, and Matt uh-huh. and I are just kind of like, like uh, again, we're recycling rolling our this. eyes. <laughs> like, aren't we past this? Aren't yeah. we done with that yet? I mean, I think that Jesus says you don't know the day or the hour. Right. And so when we get so hyped up on this, oh, last days, yeah. we got to store up, like, type of mindset, and I'm like, it... It just plagues the church, I think, from and it gets other mindset off, off of what we should truly be doing is being completely devoted all-in disciples and has this almost fearful mentality that creeps into the church. Yeah, if, if fearful escapism, rapturism type mm-hmm. of thing. Uh, it takes you away from the work that yeah. Jesus called you to now and puts you in a kind of crazy, you yeah. know, we're not supposed to be in the crazy chaos mindset. We're supposed to be in the order, partnering yeah. with yeah. Jesus mindset. Yeah. yeah, bringing order out of chaos. Right. Yeah, um, so you talked a little bit about wages and workers already, and that's kind of the next thing in this. Yeah. Uh, the law of Moses uh, forbidded the withholding of wages, even overnight. Yeah. Um, and if an injured worker cried out to God, God said he would avenge him. We yeah. got that Deuteronomy 24, Leviticus 19, Proverbs 11, all over Jeremiah 22, yeah. Malachi chapter 3, like all of those. Yep. So in first century Palestine, you know, the modern, uh, kind of that many day laborers depended on their daily wages to purchase their food. Yeah. Um, that was kind of the, the thing here. So withholding money would have meant that these people, if these rich people are withholding money from the poor, the poor would be going hungry. Yeah. It's kind of interesting that, that in that culture, you would get paid as soon as the work yeah, was every done. every day. Every day. And so you'd go do the work, and then, you know, end of the day, you're going to see the worker, like, shelling out the, the cash or the food mm-hmm. or whatever the agreement yep. was made for. And there are times where... I feel like today this kind of thinking of waiting to get paid every two weeks or every month Mm -hmm. or something like that has actually created kind of an anti-biblical mindset. It it makes us think that we can put things on credit and that we can store away, so to speak, when actually the language is daily, (laughs) very counter to that storing away language. It's, it's, you know, it's pay now, get it now. And if you don't have it, then don't do it. 
Yep. Um, so then the it's a, talks about the rich have been fattened for the day of slaughter. Yeah, so that, boy, you could read yeah. this a few different ways. Yeah, so it's kind of the picture of a feast, I believe. Yep. Um, so once an animal was slaughtered, um, as much a, as possible would be eaten at one time. They would have a feast usually yep. because the rest, only parts of it could be preserved and it usually had to happen by drying it and salting it, almost making jerky <laughs> kind yep. of yep. type thing. But, but meat was generally unavailable to the poor during public festivals, which is an yep. interesting picture as well. It's kind of that rich-poor yep. dichotomy again. So there's a lot going on here in Old Testament thinking. And so the idea was in Old Testament thinking that when you would bring your best, you shouldn't stock up that. You shouldn't want to hold it because that work, like Matt said, of salting, of preparing it so that you could keep it long term, that was frivolous. That wasn't mm -hmm. what the Lord wanted. What the Lord was saying was that when you bring your best, that this could be a gift to everybody around you and that you should give completely mm -hmm. fully out of everything that you have and it's actually carries over to a great mindset of your gifting that sometimes we think in our gifting that like we want to save it or we want to yeah. hold it up and what what the message is is that it should be totally shared and it should be given fully and completely every step of the way and that was the idea of sacrifice in the Old Testament that carried on to sacrifice in the New Testament through Jesus of giving holy and completely, completely in self-sacrificial self love that all may get that full sacrifice. And that when we withhold part of the sacrifice, we're actually withholding grace or benevolence that the mm -hmm. Lord wanted for not only us, but for his community. Yeah, and so when we get to this picture of the rich being fattened calves for the day of slaughter, it's a very similar image in the Old Testament yep. and actually in Second Temple Judaism. Yep. Um, quite often in the Old Testament, let's say Amos chapter 6, yep. um, it talks about this as, a, as a, the sin of exploitation. Right. Uh, and, um, and it's really connected to those who live in a lavish lifestyle while others go hungry and are needy and ignoring the needs of those around them. Yeah, and First Enoch is also going to kind of put this apocalyptic a little bit of mm -hmm. almost saying that like even when times are in tribulation or even when it seems like this might be the end, don't live that way. Yeah. Did, did you pick this up like live here Jesus is calling us to live here and uh -huh. now that's what God said in the Old Testament that's what Jesus brings fruition to there's there's really no room for this like kind of stockpiling saving mentality yeah and so what James is saying here it's not the workers who are against the rich but it's God himself that is yeah <laughs> <laughs> so it's they've lived in luxury while the poor have starved and now they're gonna be have basically being paid back and god's pissed about what they're doing right you want to <laughs> so, know what god's wrath is in our version of it there yeah it is. there yeah. it is so, yeah <laughs> james uh james 5 7 through 12 is the next section so again we're just going to tell you to go ahead and put it on pause right now read slowly you might want to read an interlinear in there to get the full picture do a few minutes of study mm -hmm. and come back all right, so welcome back. Uh, James kind of returns to his opening argument about trials, tribulation, uh, testing here. Um, he's Now he's addressing the 
poor by telling them to persevere yep. through these type of things. Yep. Um, to not let it defeat you like right. when these things happen, but to put your trust in the Lord. Be patient. Don't lose heart. Again, this is waiting language. This mm -hmm. is while you're in the waiting, you should be at work. Like, don't be looking for yeah. something else. It's here and now. Yeah, so they're called to be patient, not to lose heart, for the Lord's coming is near. Right. So what, we, so what does this mean? Does this mean the second coming? Or that the Lord will address the situation with the rich? There's obviously overlap. Yeah. So whenever we talk about the here and now, the, the what Matt and I would say is the immediate context of the message is going to be for the intended audience, mm -hmm. which we would say is almost always here and now, but there also might be a shadow or a far-reached overlap that's hanging on. But one of the basic rules of hermeneutics, I think we violate all the time, not you and I, but yeah, uh, you know, every, yeah. everybody violates yeah. it all the time, yeah. and that the message is the immediate audience yeah. context. That's the primary message. Now, there might be an overlap or a secondary message, but don't get this out of order. Don't get mm -hmm. it mixed up. Don't place everything on the second one and forget the primary message. Yeah, yeah don't make it all about you. <laughs> like, see what it <laughs> yeah. meant to the original audience and, <laughs> and glean from that of what it means to you. Yeah, yeah so um, we know that when Jesus comes back, all things will be ultimately completely set right. Yep. So the coming of the Lord, the day yep. of the Lord, whatever you want to call that in the Old Testament. And so it's like how God judged Israel and the other nations sometimes with destruction. Uh, he's going to judge the rich very much, and they're using this um, Old Testament prophetic language that, right. that the judge is standing at yep. the door yep. type thing of uh, the language from the prophets. There's also, Matt and I talk about this at all, if you don't know, Matt's definitely a peacemaker. I'm, I want to be a peacemaker, <laughs> but uh, but you get a little bit of that too. So James is kind of saying, leave the vengeance to the Lord, and that's a Romans 12 message. Yeah, that, 19 through 21, yeah. And I would say all over the Bible. In fact, I would say that is a major, if not the mm -hmm. major theme of the Bible, is to live, live in peace that way. And sometimes we want to kind of you know, take it into our own hands. But he says, verse 19, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. And so this is saying as much as you think it should be, kind of turn the other cheek language mm -hmm. again and just let God do it. And I hear people say all the time, like all the atrocities of the world, should we just let that happen? Should we like not bring justice or avenge them? And I usually say, yep, <laughs> yeah. just... I mean, it would be interesting we don't live that way, but it would be interesting if we just let God sort it out, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, also the, the church within the church body and their communities, we can be a, a community that displays the true justice of God um, amongst one another there. And maybe people, like we always say, maybe the world will see, all right, well, that's, that's the way that things should be, and they'll want to join it yeah. rather than having to always make the world a better place yeah. and, you know? and again it comes back to this like one of james continual messages is kind of an anti-zealot mindset mm -hmm. that we should take a step back and be be less of a zealot and more of a peacemaker yeah there's that temptation to fall into that worldly wisdom yeah that was the the wisdom from below is yep. that mindset yeah um so he uses a few analogies here um throughout these couple verses of the prophets and job and uh, so James is calling his people to be like the prophets in Job, to have endurance. So he's specifically using the endurance mindset of them, not necessarily taking every aspect of their life and making them, putting them on a shelf of, yeah. oh, be just like this, but the endurance aspect of that. So the prophets often suffered for what God called them to yep. do. Yep. 
and Job, obviously, he went through suffering, misery, misery, yeah. <laughs> and yet still came out on the other side, yeah. Um, yeah. trusting in the Lord. And it's interesting because we read Job and it just seems like God's justice is so far away, mm-hmm. you know, as if it's being mocked by the nations or something like yeah. that. When ultimately, like, God seems okay with that in the book of Job. Like, yeah. You know, he's he's just kind of okay of, of just live this way. And there's something going on here um, that... When, when the Bible tells us to often endure, endurance equals what God promises. And mm-hmm. so sometimes this isn't an eschatological sense, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just living right here and right now and, and you know, that joy might be found in tribulation and things like that. And so that, that word is hypomone. And it's this is where Matt and I always come back to this you know, sort of servant under feeling is mm-hmm. a lot of the words specifically go that way. And this is where I get that in English, you don't read it this way. Yeah, I could see how you could just take this this portion and not get the, the message of servant from the underside that Matt and I teach and preach so much. But in this case, it's it's hypo. That's what that means is under. Mm-hmm. And, and the, next, the next part of it is moan is to stay in place. So be under and stay in place. And that is the continual message of how we should lead. It's yeah. not this like leading big and mighty from the front CEO mindset. It's le- uh, leading in total self-sacrifice in the way that Jesus did. And in that same way, like all of these words, I'll just use faith because it's the best example, but all of these words, they typically don't take a noun form. They take a verb form, yeah, which changes your mindset hugely about what it looks like. Yep. So kind of at the end of this, James is telling his audience to rest in God's character, that the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Is yeah, really that mercy. that's what we're that's what they're banking everything on, and that's what we need to to rest in. Um, and this so, that's Exodus thirty four when God yeah. is telling us who He is. God mm-hmm. is compassion and mercy, mm-hmm. and so that comes out here in the prophets yep. and Job. It's going to kind of come back mm-hmm. in the oaths a little bit, but I'll also tie this in in a second when we get to. Uh, how the how the oaths are spoken. Yep, so the oaths is the next part in this. So verse 12 kind of uh, talks really about um, not swearing an oath by heaven or earth or anything else, but just let your yes be yes and your no be no, and so that you're not going to fall under judgment when you do those type of things. So what what where is James getting this? <laughs> Obviously the Sermon on the Mount, I believe. Yeah. So Matthew 5, 33 through 37. Now we've spent a lot of time on this, and you might got be a big familiar article. with this. Yep, but I'm just going to, time out and give you a little field trip so if you remember when we explore Matthew 5:33 when we when we get to false vows that was a hapax legomenon meaning it's it's the only time we get that mm-hmm. and so you have to first say what do we do with this like is it is it uh, something that we just don't make a doctrine of or don't touch and some people kind of feel like those words were intentional as kind of like hidden spiritual secrets in the text that if you dive deeper, you might be able to kind of figure it out out or get a part of it. But I'm really careful to go that way. Like sometimes they were just words that weren't used very often or we might not be able to say. So what is the message when when we're getting O's and he quotes, you know, sort of, seems like he's almost directly quoting Matthew 5.33. It's the second time that we get that. So now when we read it in Matthew 5 and we first get 
the hypoxlegomenon and I say don't read too much into it. What I want to show you theologically now is that this is where an author takes the quote from a hypoxlegomenon and might give us clarity to exactly what it means. So if you don't understand what it means one place, find a reference to where the Bible ties in and gives you a little bit more of the story. So now what we get is we're tying in what oaths look like in Matthew to what he's saying about them now as well. Yeah, and so the bringing up of oaths here might seem like it's a little random, like yep. kind of where it's placed here, but I right. think James is strategically doing this. Um, so oath is more than just, you know, being upright and full of integrity. Because yep. a lot of people will just interpret this as, oh, they'll just let your yes and be yes and your no be no. But oaths were about loyalty and allegiance as well. Yep. So James wants the church to think about their loyalties. Are they being honest to the kingdom way of life that flows out of that loyalty and allegiance? So there's actually something referred to as a zealot oath in the first century. Mm -hmm. does, do you think he's specifically commenting on that? How much, do, how much do we read that into what he's saying? I found about three or four commentaries on my shelf that specifically link this to the zealot oath. Yeah. They think that like good commentaries are trying to see that like James' audience would have picked up on this, especially the zealots and his yeah. his audience, you know, the take back Israel for God people. And so I think James is specifically drawing attention to this and pointing them to the words of Jesus in Matthew 5, which condemn oath-taking, pledges, promises, using an object such as heaven, God's location, God's footstool, you know, the temple, yeah. uh, God's city, Jerusalem, or even by your own head, God's image. Yeah, yeah. So this is where I kind of like have to just sit back for a second and say, you and I like preach this to, it's like a broken record, you know, mm -hmm. but in America, it seems like everybody like this patriotic nationalism things like to a flag. Yeah. But it's not just that. It seems like we give our allegiance to a lot of things. And really what this is saying is that any time that you take a, a oath or you seem like you're pledging your your complete person in something like that and I even will equate this on you might have noticed what I'm wearing today mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm wearing one of our good friends uh, has a business he's a carpenter and like this is this is the way he he's even talked about making a disciple school out of his carpentry business this is another one uh, uh, a buddy is a bricklayer and like he's kind of done the same thing and like you know when I wear these, there's a little bit of a representation going on there. Now, I can wear them because these are tied into my covenant relationship. Yeah. But I've got the 44 shirt yeah, on, There so. you go. <laughs> and even like, you know, you see us wearing Into the Storm stuff, and that's a few different things. But we're taking back that, 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 thing. that slogan. And so yeah. you'll see that used in a couple of the other places of the world, in fact, the one Matt's wearing is actually like a buffalo jerky company yeah, or something like that. Jerky company, <laughs> but but it's kind of like what people say with the rainbow. Like, uh, what what are you gonna let the world have that? Or are you gonna take it back? And that's tied in to this idea of oath and allegiance languages that everything should be a covenant thought. That our mm -hmm. complete community life, everything your yes be yes, your no be no, like. Too much of us is entangled in the world, and when you're totally kingdom, every decision should be a kingdom-made decision. Yeah, and so even on the Sermon on the Mount, right after this, he goes and talks about divorce. Yeah. Like covenants and right. relationships. Right. And Deuteronomy 16.13 says that we should 
swear by him alone. Yep. And this is a connection to the covenant with God and nothing else. Yeah. Using very similar language yep. when you contrast the Hebrew and the Greek. Yep. And it's it's in the Old Testament. You know, we brought up this uh, Exodus 34, the God's description of himself. Is, is This is who he is, and it's rooted in uh, hesed. And it's really interesting that when you look at that word, a lot of words in the Bible are loan words, and mm-hmm. people don't like when Matt and I say this, that yeah. like, okay, you know, and, and in the Egyptian culture, this is what that word meant. Well, this was an interesting word because they didn't necessarily have it, and we still even tr- struggle with the with the translation. Mm-hmm. Like, what yeah. does that word mean? Is it compassion? Is it mercy? Is it kindness? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's all of those things. And so so uh, Joshua 2.20 kind of uses, I like the way it phrases this, because in Hebrew, when things are repeated double, it gives it like double portion, double emphasis thinking. So it uses the word vow, vow. Clear of the vow that you made us vow. And so it's kind of obligation language that's linked to covenant. And so when you, when you link it, it says that this is linked to actual intimacy covenant language the most deep relationship that we have and when we break this what's adultery language and you know i I wrote a blog post where i i kind of used that you know and i said not my words adultery and like boy i must have had five or six people comment that week of like that's what put them like you know whoa you know like that kind of thing but like this is the language that we get often with biblical writers mm-hmm. is that when we do things that, that, that seem to give allegiance or oaths to the rest of the world, that's actually adulterous language before yeah. the Lord. Yeah, um, let's look at Hosea 4.15. So, though you are a whore, Israel, let not Judah become guilty. Yeah. It talks about the, the reason this is is because you swore an oath to something else saying Yahweh lives it's like saying god bless america yeah (laughs) you know is that being a whore right (laughs) like and i swear to do this well that's adultery before the lord yeah yeah um you got it elsewhere also uh we we were we were talking of hosea also in the uh, elsewhere in the old testament that um when you say Yahweh lives like it's saying I'm swearing to tell the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth is what that meant in Hebrew are you swearing by something that maybe God is completely against yeah and I I find myself marrying quite a few people and I'm one of those people that some people would say is a liberal pastor in the sense that like I'll marry just about anybody and Mm -hmm. I get the mindset of pastors that want to keep it totally covenant and not do that but the reason is, is because I want to explain to them what covenant before the Lord looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we see the language until death do us part. And that's the first thing people always like want to take out of the vows mm-hmm. is till death do us part. But this is what covenant, covenant was intended to be. And that's why it goes back to idolatry and yes. adultery. Yes. So uh, Amos 8.14 says, um, as for those who swear by the guilt of Samaria, who says... As your gods live, O Dan, and the way of Beersheba, they will fall and not rise again. Yeah, and what he what he does it is when a nation does this, something separate from God, when they're doing something separate from God, the the equation is destruction. It's yeah. annihilation yeah. language again. So and yeah, this is really blasphemy. Yeah. <laughs> like 
Yeah. Not not necessarily cursing. It's using God's name to to vouch for something that isn't true, and that's yeah. kind of what a lot of the the oaths and allegiance and pledge language is. Is so the let your yes be yes and your no be no. Um, Jesus knew what it meant. Yeah, it was all about covenant faithfulness. Yeah, and John says this to churches of Asia Minor, like we've made this yeah. point before, and their entanglement in Rome, Babylon. Uh huh. I mean, his his words are, "Come out of her, my people, so that you will not participate in her sins and receive her plagues." That's Revelation eighteen. That's that's about as vivid as that gets. Uh-huh. Uh, Craig Blomberg kind of sums the whole thing up. He said, "Oaths." can force us into behavior that does not glorify God. Yeah. So I don't think you could say it any better than that. So yeah. be careful about who your allegiance, who you're allying you, with in the world. What you pledge to. I mean, Matt and I have, have, and people think this is really radical, and it was probably radical in Jesus's and James' time, and it still seems radical, but like, we are really hands off of anything that's not Jesus' kingdom. Like, mm-hmm. if it's if it's not about Jesus, then we don't want part of it. And when it looks like the world is trying to defile something, like into the storm was a message of total discipleship in the Bible. And if mm-hmm. and and I'm not actually I actually like the company right yeah. there. So I'm not saying. In fact, I wonder if they are covenant yeah, people. people. Yeah, but, we don't uh, know them. <laughs> we, but but we've used that slogan because we're reclaiming things. We're regathering it. We're bringing a sacred awe, fear of the Lord back mm-hmm. to things that were meant to be brought back that way. All right, so let's keep moving. Yep. Um, James 5, 13 through 20. So pause and read that. James 5, 13 through 20. All right, welcome back. So James' call to non-resistance doesn't mean that he's calling the church to just kind of pretend that all these things aren't happening or don't matter or anything like that. But he's saying, let God be sovereign or yeah. the God of justice. Yeah. So his call is, he calls the church to fight, but the way that they fight is in prayer and in care for one another um, and in love for the body of Christ. Sort of Psalm 144, Expedition 44 language is yeah. the world interprets to go go fight, boom, boom, boom. And the Bible actually interprets it. as worship. Almost totally opposite. <laughs> yeah. 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 So um, James begins with, if you're suffering... Right. Yes. Um, so seems basic. Yeah. So that this church is suffering, yeah. and prayer changes things yeah. because it changes you. Yeah. That's the whole thing. Prayer isn't about God, getting God to do what you think God ought to do, but about being properly formed as a disciple, getting yeah. your God's will and your will on the same track. <laughs> so small words again. He uses the phrase "among you." Mm-hmm. What What's the significance? Yeah. He shows that he's calling for corporate prayer, not just not just me and God, but or me and Jesus, but we and Jesus. This is communal. There's something going on together. Now that's going to start being a theme for the last message here. Yeah, it's of about community. Theme of community unity going. And that's on. how yep. he's ending this entire letter. Is yep. like this is like his his cherry on top of yep. the ice cream. You know. If you are cheerful, sing the praise. praise. Yep. yep. If you're sick, call for those to surround you, lay their hands on you, and preach and speak over you. Yeah. So. Um, so one commentator, he, um, so Moiter, he points out like five different things in this verse that could apply to how someone with a serious, it might be talking about someone with a serious illness here, yeah. um, suggesting that uh, this person might be even bedridden uh, yeah. is what it's talking about. Literally, he says that the elders are called to the sick person. And hold on, we, we don't necessarily say this is the recipe that you yeah. have to do it this way, but we, we often wonder... 
how we should be living in covenant community together. And this is like a good example of where we actually might, we may, I'm going to be careful here, but we may actually have a recipe to figure yeah. out how to do this. So yeah. what's the, the first one again? Uh, that the, the elders are called to the person. Okay. Um, so it's not that they come to the elders. Yeah. So yeah. the elders are supposed to be the ones going. Yeah. And that's kind of where we get the elders of our church going to yeah. hospitals and visiting yeah. people. The, the elders are the ones who do the praying yep. for them in this. Uh, the person is actually in Greek, it's called, it's worn out or exhausted. Yeah. Now this is interesting because this is one of the things in the last film that mm -hmm. I brought out. You might remember the story that I said, like, I had nothing better to do than show uh -huh. up at Matt's house. When he said pray, I showed up at the hospital and prayed. The rest of our small group came along. Like, mm -hmm. we've, we've rearranged our lives so that it looks this mm -hmm. way. And as we get older, so... An elder is really best deemed, we go over this a lot in other episodes, but it's really best deemed as somebody that shows the fruits of maturity. Mm -hmm. Now that could be younger, but typically it was kind of 30 and older. And in a Hebraic culture, as you, as you got older, you would start doing less work of the world and eventually mm -hmm. somebody that was totally mature, I'm going to go back to that language I used in the last film, had nothing better to do. It was like they were sort of sitting around all day waiting. And that's why in the story of the prodigal of, mm -hmm. I'll say, Israel abandoned, and you see the father, instead of letting you know the, the people come out and have a kazaza ceremony, he's got nothing better to do than go out to the road and meet Welcome with open arms. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so the fourth thing is... It, shows in the text here that the faith is that of the elders, not of the person that's sick. Yeah, <laughs> so that's interesting. It's, like, it's also like Jesus, uh, when he tells the ones who lower the paralytic through the roof, yeah. said the, is like, the, great is their faith. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, you, yeah. your, the faith of your friends is basically right. is the thing that, that healed them. So it could be something similar yeah. there. And the elders are to pray over the person um, as if it was basically one of the those confined or prone to positions so this is backwards yeah. language so basically you're taking on uh the hardship or the mindset yeah. of those in you and that's one of the humility of the prone position is is that what we're doing is we're going you know the the under language yeah. again power under serving, rather yeah. than power over that we might take on the mindset of the one that's afflicted yeah, in bearing front of their us. burden yes um so there, then it talks about anointing, which refers to a physical action with symbolic significance. Yeah, we and, talked about that a lot in our uh, what are setting apart our atonement episodes. Yeah, and anointing is hard. I just wrote a article on this. If you yeah. want to go back and do that, so, forty-four.com. Yep. So there's there's some language going on of is anointing is everybody in Christ anointing or is anointing set apart to kind of, you know ask the spirit to fall on again and the answer is yes yes it's it's sort yes. of all of that yeah, yeah. and so so if you need a more more detailed description of that but in the old testament you get anoint 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 in the new testament you don't get that a lot and when you do there's even conversation of whether that word anoint is really the best translated word they could yeah. have used yeah so the oil itself isn't like what we should focus on, but right. what the symbolic action of anointing someone is. So it's setting someone apart and placing them in God's hands for his care and healing. 
And one of the reasons, perhaps even the sole reason that he brings this up is because of the community mindset of it, mm-hmm. that it was a time where the community gathered around. And so he might even just be making a reference that in the same way they, the community came around to anoint in the Old Testament that we should come to gather around in that way in the New Testament. Yeah, and the phrase that it kind of ends with is, in the name of the Lord, which reminds us that healing is done solely by the will of God and the power of God, and it's not some secret formula of in Jesus' name type thing, but it's recognizing the one who is our healer. Yeah, the next thing comes into confession and prayer, and you're teaching a class on prayer right Mm -hmm. now. We spent some time on prayer, and there's kind of a repentance language going on here. Yeah, yeah, so... Part of this is like Protestants get a little bit worried about when confession comes up. Right. <laughs> like they think they go straight to Catholic confession yep. and yep. and that. But confession is something commanded by James, and we're called to confess to one another's, not necessarily a priest because we're a kingdom of priests. Yep. And exactly. that's kind of the whole mindset that we have the tendency to want to make this just about between an us and God thing. Yep. But it's good to confess our shortcomings to one another so that we have somebody to walk beside us. And that's what community is all about yeah. is holding up one another, bearing one another's burdens, holding people accountable, um, iron sharpening iron, yep. those type of things. Yep. And you know, I think when you start talking about community coming alongside, like we don't really in our culture, we don't really know what this looks like. Yeah. Like we don't know what to do with these verses because our churches have kind of become, and, and I'd say all of them are guilty of this. They've kind of become this, you know, come and go, uh, 45-minute mm-hmm. hour thing. Sometimes small groups start to look more like this. But I hate to use the word 12-step, but people have been through it, kind of know what that means of kind of pouring out their heart in a, yeah. in a, in a confessional sense. But I also want to be careful, as Matt alluded to, that it's not a Catholic confessional sense. Like, that really hasn't done us any good. This is... Uh, a little more out of it. So the word uses exomologeo, and that uses that word ek that is yep. used all out. of him, out of, yep. And then homon, which is a scent, and then lagos, mm-hmm. which is word. Logos, lagos, yeah, whatever, which however, way you say however, it. Yep. And everybody so, debates that. <laughs> <laughs> there's a nice article on the Bible software yeah. on that if you want to go there. Yeah. But um, what it really means is agreement of words in Jesus. And so it's this idea that when the community of Jesus comes together, that you might have been thinking one way, and that the community of Jesus in their world words out of words out of the ascent of the words that the spirit is going to fall and bring bring truth to that or i might even say edification i wrote an article Mm -hmm. on edification about a week ago again on expedition 44 and it brings to this idea that that word edify was building blocks and so Mm -hmm. this is really important when when a first century context when the readers use the word edification what they were talking about is putting building blocks. So what this means, and boy, we just don't think this way in our community, and this was the intent of it, I believe, in the first century, is that when Matt says something, let's say it's on social media or in the way that he preaches in church or something, if he's preaching and he says something and I'm sitting there and I go, oh, that didn't come off the way that I know Matt's heart meant it to come off. The way that I edify is I I add blocks to him. And so rather than interpreting half empty and after the sermon going, oh man, you screwed up. That was, did you know what you sounded like you just said? Don't let that happen. Like part of my communal representation is to 
lift up Matt into the community. Like if it if it is to go and say, hey, you know, like I love the way you said this. I know what you what you meant, and kind of preach another another portion of it. And that's what edification looks like: is not interpreting things as poorly as they could be interpreted, but actually knowing the heart, knowing what they meant, interpreting positively, and then being a source of edification to others that could have possibly interpreted They're that yep. differently and say, oh no, this is, I know Matt, this is what his heart meant. You know, and if, if you're questioning that, it takes two seconds to put Matt in front of you and he'll say the same thing that I'm saying is this is what, this was the intent of his heart was, that we need to interpret positively and when things come out from somebody, because it happens all the time, to build over that, to see through them so that it doesn't, you don't allow or be part of the dan damage of the body of Christ, but you become part of the unification of the body of Christ. And that when we come together and we're part of this and people say, hey, I'm struggling with this as this is where my mind was. When you get a whole group of people that's thinking this way, what happens is amazing. We just had a, uh, our, our men's group met last Sunday night and I remember we were sitting there going through this and there were, the, there were two guys in the room that were new to it. Yeah, brand new, yeah. And they were like, what is this? Like, we don't even know what to do with this. And it was sort of unfortunate that like, this is really the description of what we're supposed to be in the church. Mm -hmm. And we get two guys that have been Christians their whole life. One of them had been going to seminary and he's smiling when he's saying this, but he's like, this is so different than what we're used to. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. So yeah. also, um, so I think one, one church, at least in one aspect of it that does it well is the Eastern Orthodox church. Yeah. Uh, they have a thing. So it's the first Sunday during Lent. It's called forgiveness vespers yep. where they literally go person to person yep. and ask for forgiveness yeah. in any way that they might've offended or hurt them throughout the year. And so they have like this clean slate. Like and this going, sort of gets into this gift giving mentality uh -huh. because when they go to the person, they ask for forgiveness. It's kind of the sun doesn't go down. Yeah. And there, yeah. there's, a, there's a plan of reconcilement mm -hmm. that if you don't reach out on your else, the church is actually going to work towards reconciling yeah. everybody. And that when you offer this gift of confession mm -hmm. or, you know, reconcile, the, the, the way that the, the proper response is to say, I didn't take it that way. I interpret it this way. I love what you we were yeah. thinking. And again, it's these building blocks that go mm -hmm. back and forth. Yeah. And so it talks about in the chapter here or in this section that the effective prayer of the righteous can accomplish much. Yeah. And this is in the passive tense. So it's talking about God working through that yep. person. Yep. That it's not just just our words, but it's God working through through those prayers, uh, it's encouragement. Language, yeah, effective yeah. could also mean when it's exercised. Yep. So since this is temporal, it's an encouragement to keep praying. Yep. That, to allow God to keep moving through you, because when you pray, it, it it allows God to to move through you. So he goes to Elijah here, and Elijah is one of my favorite people. But but why does he go to Elijah as an example of prayer? So when most people think of Elijah. They remember a lot of the stories of Elijah, but Calling they, down fire they don't that. necessarily yeah. think about prayer. Why does he? Why does he use them in terms of prayer? Um, so really, the, I think the point he's making is he talks about Elijah just being a natural man, just yeah. like one of us. Right. And so just he's like saying that if you, Elijah yeah. can do these things, you can too. And and that's important because remember that from a Hebraic 
viewpoint, they didn't necessarily think of Elijah as a normal man. They mm-hmm. put Elijah as a pedestal. messianic, <laughs> yeah. basically. Like, remember the John the Baptist, Elijah language and things like that? And so, so he's bringing normal person language into the body of Christ and a quality of mm-hmm. the gifts. Yeah, so in the context here, Elijah's prayers had the goal of uh, bringing repentance and confession to the whole nation yeah. um, and thus restoring people to proper relationship with God. Yep. And so that can supports the context here of James five nineteen to 20, which is all about restoring someone to a proper relationship. So we kind of talk about here the elders anointing and praying. Another way that I've seen this taken is not necessarily about sickness, but about spiritual sickness. Yes. Yep. And so restoring someone who's caught up in the world, restoring someone who's caught up in sin. So we sort of get this in our culture about going to the hospital and praying over the the sick, but we don't really get it in terms of spiritual sickness. That if Mm -hmm. there's a major disagreement in the church and two Uh people, you know, disagree, this comes back to like, our, our philosophy is don't let the sun set, like mm-hmm. take care of it right now. Yeah. And and if it goes out long, then it's bringing a community around them to speak better Jesus into it. And it goes back to that ascent of words again, the homon logos. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's this idea of Jesus community coming around somebody to not only heal the physical sick, but to also pray over and heal the spiritual sickness of the church and the community as well. Yeah, and it kind of concludes uh, the book here with the person who does this, they'll will turn that person from error. Yeah. So that kind of talks about like that entanglement, that sin mindset there. It says also they will be saved from death. So that could be sickness, that could be annihilation. I'm like, I'm, I'm holding back. I yeah. don't know if you're sensing that, that like there there is this idea and i'm very careful to bring this out but this is going to be a two minute morsel that you get is there is a feeling and this is one of these feelings in the scripture that the call of jesus james almost all eight nine it depends whether you put paul in hebrews or not eight nine authors of the new testament are all saying it's about discipleship it's about total depth in a community of the lord Mm -hmm. And even sometimes, this is this is the crazy part, is when it talks about people that seem to have salvation, but they're missing the mark, it uses the word annihilation. Yeah, death. That's scary. Yeah. That's really scary. Because we think that if we cross the line of salvation, whatever that line in the sand is, this is what our churches do more than anything, try to bring people to this line of salvation, that we're going to see all of the full benefits of of heaven later and we think so eschatologically that we forget the now when a lot of this is here and now and there's even a mindset if you're following me i know that i'm being careful and abstract here but if you're following me there's even an idea that those that are just barely cross the line that they think they're they've done enough for eschatological living might not actually make it there that they were supposed to be they there is a reward but it's right here and right now and perhaps only those that are in deeper discipleship have an eschatological promise so there's your leave it on the shelf figure it out for the day yeah i'm not all the way there yet i'm like torn on this one like it tends to be again we mentioned orthodox ideas and this kind of tends to have some 
orthodox ideas and in, into it Proximity as well. Proximity to but God type things. We're we're kind of open to those things, and we're uh, we're we're. I go back again to the other side that I'm hopeful that it actually goes the other way. Yeah. That everybody is reconciled through some yeah. way. And but kind of the last line is that um, that in doing this you'll cover over a multitude of sins. So yeah. hopefully, like our communal action together in discipleship will actually. Um, work in tandem with like that's atonement language it's you atonement. know <laughs> israel thought they were all saved were they or not oh, yeah the remnant well, i'm hopeful we'll yeah. find out is it just the remnant or is it all of israel is it everybody grafted in later or is it still just those who are devout and intimate and things like that these are tough conversations but boy i love it when you get to a book like this and when you're thinking more you just kind of leaves you intimately you're like whoa you yeah. know kind of mind blown is could that be what it yeah. means? And again, like it's, it's there, we don't have all the cards to these questions. Yeah. We just, we just, when I kind of say it, I kind of come back to the same thing of if you're, I say this, that if you're just following and living the way that you should be, it doesn't really matter. You're yeah. just going to, you're just going to live Keep your whole heart Jesus. in community, yeah. find Jesus and you're yeah. there. So let's tie this in. What are the conclusions of where we've been today yeah so at the beginning of the chapter james warns about putting our trust in the things of this world such as riches materialism individualism stuff like that even more he warns about the neglect of the needy yeah and then he goes into trial tribulation language kind of comes to count it all joy live in endurance we are to take on the mind of christ and to leave revenge or justice to the lord he yep. will bring justice and it's not our job we shouldn't be thinking as zealots or violent resistance or things like that and if it doesn't look like restorative judgment then that is the lord's and just yeah. let it go yeah and kind of the instead of that mindset take on the mindset that we saw at the end is that the church community is supposed to be a community of prayer and confession and and this is going to bring unity to the the body of Christ and form us into the people that he's called us to be. Um, and what does that do? It brings healing and restoration. And so when you're in a mindset of thinking everything needs justice, that God needs to do this, you're thinking the wrong way. Right. And that actually is a qualification that you need healing. Yeah. You're thinking that way. Yeah. So those are kind of the big uh, things about James, kind of the end, because kind of like I said, the cherry on top of that he says that the whole solution to all this is prayer and community yeah. and confession and, and praise together. And just doing life as a community that's focused on, on the ways of, of Jesus. And yeah. that's what brings the healing restoration unity, the, to be that, that light, that city on a hill when we actually live this out as a community of disciples. So one of my punch words in a Christian community is transparency. Like if you don't have transparency, you can't get to intimacy. And so this whole thing, when it talks about confession and prayer and a group of witnesses and edification language to build each other up, what it's saying is to come together and live in complete transparency. And by in praying over each other in complete transparency, in being devoted to this, that this is what gives way to a better picture of the community of Christ. Yep, so, well, that's James, James chapter 5. Thanks for coming with us through this short journey through uh, the five chapters of this powerful little epistle. Yep. Um, we're going to be back in the church series next time. Where we'll go, nobody knows. We're going to try to wrap that up. Yeah. <laughs> so, so. 
come join us. I think we'll be back in the fivefold ministries, the fivefold giftings. Yep. Um, thanks for joining us going through James. May God bless you and keep you.